You've stumbled your way into the After Office Hours with Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. This is your home for discussion about the Puget Sound region's economy. The economy and what's affecting it continues to be in a high rate of, well, something. We're recording this on October 15th for those keeping score. Depending on when you're listening, there are going to likely be new developments to keep in mind. We developed this podcast and our social media stream to give you the inside glimpse of what it's like to be sitting in our research center and overhearing all of our side conversations as we track what is going on in the economy. So please have a seat, get comfortable, please, no flash photography. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty and I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, along with being cast into the role of host for this exciting and enthusiastic podcast. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works the switches and dials of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Rounding out this panel of super smart people today is Brianna Brookson, who's been with our research center for many years and is currently completing her MBA here at Western. With all of that, grab your beverage and snack of choice, and let's see if we can unpack all that's going on in the community. We should start once again with COVID itself. This week, we've learned that Washington State has dropped in new cases across all the age bands, which is great news. We've also heard from our state's K-12 leaders that families should expect to see schools opening and closing around the state due to case counts, but not at a statewide level. Amazon took the surprising path of announcing they would abandon their previously held statement of a return to the office in favor of a hybrid approach as long as employees committed to being in the office if they were needed for in-person activities. Outside of Washington state, case counts are all over the place with Idaho and Montana being two of the states that have the hottest places at the moment, leading to Washington state pleading to please not overrun our hospitals. In a nutshell, we're in the end game of a pandemic, folks, and the data is still all over the place as to what we should make of it all. Hart, it appears the indicators all show us making a gradual descent from pandemic to endemic as we move through the winter, with the largest threats being another variant or a serious flu season. The twin pan, twindemic, as they call it. Does that sound like a fair assessment to you? Yeah, the, the data are all showing declining incidents, declining infection rates. Uh, I don't want to make light of it. You, you can look at places, uh, Alaska being the poster child right now, where things are still rather, rather dire. But if we look at charts that show the different waves of COVID, we're definitely on the, on the downswing. And you think about the number of people that have the vaccine, and on the other hand, the number of people that have been infected and have natural antibodies. I mean, it looks at the moment like we're heading towards something much, much better. I'll put my forecaster hat on and say, I still expect some interesting stories about people on airplanes getting in fights, but that's a different different topic. I, I, I think in terms of an economic reopening, the virus is letting us do that. And, and I think it's gonna, with, with that, we get to focus on, okay, if COVID is getting better, why is the labor market still so wonky? Or if COVID is getting better, why isn't inflation uh, coming back down? I think that's what we're going to pick up on today, right? Yeah, for sure. Because the real action has been in employment news in the week since we published the forecaster. So Bethany, can you run us down the latest and what it might mean for our next forecast? Yeah, definitely. So we're seeing some really interesting things in the labor market right now. Um, the most recent piece of news we have is increases in the number of people quitting. So we had 3% 
of employees quit their jobs in August. And that might sound like a lot of people, and it, it is, um, but we're going to see that starting to come down. And um, workers quitting is actually a somewhat of a good sign for the economy. It means people are confident in their ability to get a job in the future. Um, so we had a lot of fears about a lot of people quitting due to vaccine mandates. Um, and it turns out a lot of those threats were sort of empty. So it, we thought we might have a large number of people quitting because of those, um, but only about two or 3% of those people um, actually held true with that. Um, now, so we had a record low in the number of unemployment insurance claims um, this past week. Um, and while that is a good sign and there's a lot of uh, reasons for that, including policy reasons um, and economic reasons as well, at the same time, we had an increase in the unemployment rate. And so we get some funky things happening in the numbers there. And that basically is due to people re-entering the labor force. And now they're looking for jobs that they now count as unemployed. Um, and that's, that's the story in short of employment right now. For the next forecast, uh, we should be seeing um, continued low numbers for unemployment insurance claims and still probably an increase in the unemployment rate as people return to the workforce. I, can I add three words? Doug the pug. I mean, why would I go back to work if I can handle a pug and make so much money on Instagram and uh, fans only and things. I mean, Doug, Doug has millions of, of viewers. In a, in a serious tone, the labor force, and I'll, you know, we're bound to pick up on this. I'm going to make an app. Uh, I'm going to be an influencer. I'm gonna, how many people are stepping out of the workforce, still making money doing some, doing some various things? I mean, if, if I've got a certain number of followers and blah, 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 I can get on the, the, the YouTube program. Uh, so I'm making money, but I'm not going to be counted as participating in the labor force. Uh, so we've got some interesting data points that it's going to take us while, a while to understand uh, retirements and these working but not working in a way that we count them people. So I think it's going to be fun to watch the labor market for a little while. I think um, another component of that is um, the wealth effect. People are seeing their, their stocks rise, and so they're not so concerned about going back to work. You see a lot of people are seeing their, their GameStop rise or their AMC rise. And so they're not so concerned about heading back into work. Well, it's, also interesting. it's also interesting who is in the workforce and who's not out of the workforce, right? We know that a lot of women have dropped out of the workforce much more than men. We also have noticed educationalized that uh, there's been an increase in the number of people in the labor force with a bachelor's degree or higher and where people with less than a bachelor's degree, we've seen a net loss in, in, in employment in, as far as the participation rate goes as well. So there's a lot of ways to slice employment. And I think the next probably six to 12 months, we're going to have all kinds of really interesting discussions about how the labor market has changed and how employers are going to have to adapt to a changed market space. We brought up inflation and we danced around inflation a little bit. So let's, it's probably one of the biggest questions we keep getting from folks is around inflation. I know we talked about in our last podcast. Um, Hart, what's the latest thinking around inflation and, and how does it start to influence how we're thinking about our forecasting? I think the latest thing about inflation is that it's cool to talk about it. I mean, that's neat for an economist, uh, but more seriously, I, I think the latest thing is that more and more people are saying it's real or big enough or whatever that they think the Federal Reserve should do something about it. We, we had the narrative last spring, early summer, oh, it's transitory. And that's changing a bit. And we could talk quite a, 
a while about the different ways we measure inflation or how increases in rent or food or gas affect different measures of inflation. We could talk about the math and how you get a higher percentage increase if you start from a low spot. But I think the different measures and the math aside all show inflation is real. The point is they suggest different things in terms of how worried we should be about it or how long it might last. We know supply chain problems and worker shortages are affecting the price of things. We can argue about how long those drivers will last or how much we'll be talking about inflation uh, a year from now. You know, thinking of the forecast, when we, when we talk here in the center, we typically conclude that car prices will come back down a bit when ships are available. I mean, right now, manufacturers are using the materials they have to produce the most popular cars and are selling them at a premium. Gone are the days of subsidized loans or dealer incentives. People are paying a lot for that truck, and it makes inflation look high. That's going to change. Rather than talking about exactly what's pushing up a given price index, I want to highlight the retail sales spending that just came out for September. It was higher than uh, a lot of people expected. We've been talking about inflation on the supply side and what's pushing up prices. We also have to remember that we have consumers with money. Bethany just mentioned the wealth effect, some of what's going on in the labor force, right? Mostly you read about the cost of childcare or something. I want to just underscore people have money. And I don't just mean, oh, they had unemployment benefits. I mean, they haven't paid their student loans for a long time. A lot of people have seen their disposable income go up by thousands of dollars per month for a while. And they, on top of that, they haven't traveled, they haven't gone out as much, and they, they, have, they have money to pay, sort of, in my mind, overpay for that truck. That's going to come down. And so when we're all talking in the, in the office, and I think it's important to note the, the numbers in the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster for, forecast for CPI in the region have been higher than you've seen in uh, Blue Chip for the nation or a lot of other places, in part because we've recognized that, that the role of income in, in this story. The question, when do things get back to, to normal? There's an interesting article out today about how inflation in, in Sweden is 3% lower than it is here. And they're saying, in part, there's more hybrid work, there's, the labor force is more settled down. And that, and that article reminds us that there's still deflationary pressures that could pop up when things do settle down. And so I'm going to spin this around a little bit. For us to build a really good forecast about inflation or for us to want to write something compelling in our newsletter about inflation, it's going to hinge on what do we think is going to happen with supply chains and, and what do we think is going to happen with some of the labor force problems. So James, I'm actually going to switch the tables and ask you, how long do you think the nightmare at various ports continues? When do you think we get back to normal, because if you tell me latter part of 2022, I'll tell you one thing about inflation. If you say, oh no, this is all messed up until late 2023, uh, it's, a, it's a different story. You know, when we think about supply chains and, and it's people here again, people are excited to talk about supply chain. Like how often do we get to talk about supply chain? I mean, it's, it's rare. Um, Western happens to have one of the, one of the world's better supply chain management programs. So we've got a lot of people in our building that are, are truly experts in supply chain. Um, but supply chain gets complicated fast because it's, it's constantly changing and, and adopting and adapting to market conditions. And so pre COVID, there was a very large push, um, despite the bumper stickers people were reading, uh, there's a large push for supply chains to become much shorter 
because companies couldn't wait six to 10 weeks for things to come from Asia. They were only willing to wait for a week or two for it to come from Mexico or um, insert the countries of your choice. And so supply chains had already gotten reworked, reconfigured and to be shorter. Um, and in fact, very little of the existing manufacturing base can be moved any longer because of that without extreme shocks and costs going into the market space. And different industries are being inf- impacted by supply chain very differently as well. You look at the auto industry in the United States being impacted by a chip shortage, and that sounds very very simple, like we just need more chips, right? We need to build more chip factories. And the reality is U.S. auto manufacturers use very old technology chips and cars, um, and no one's going to build a chip factory to make old chips. And so there is the the only fix is to have the automakers use newer chips, um, which will probably happen long term. But that's, again, not something that happens fast. So the supply chain, yes, we have got massive amounts of boats parked all over the all over the world waiting Um, Stuff is in the wrong positions. This last week, Southwest Airlines had a huge amount of flights canceled because equipment was in the wrong places. We see the same problem on a macro level supply chain. We have boats, we have cargo containers, uh, we have people, we have equipment just in the wrong places to move it quickly. Now, we've seen some quick things happen this past week. Um, Ports are starting to run 24-7, which is unusual um, for a lot of different reasons, ports don't work that way. And so we're seeing ports really ramp up and maximize what they were already doing. Most of the ports were already working above what was normal anyway. It's not like we were seeing work slowdowns there. And so all of these things will help alleviate it. So I think it's, I think the supply chain issues hard. I think we see that kind of work itself out of the system in this coming year. I don't think we'll, we'll probably see some echoes of it into 23, but I think most of it winds up getting worked out in 22 um, as the year progresses. We've got to get through the holiday rush, right? I mean, it, what most people don't realize is supply chain, it works like three to four or five months ahead of what you what you think of as the holiday time, right? There's a reason back to school stuff hits the stores in June because um, the stuff's there, which means it was shipped in March, April. And so the, all the holiday, the December holiday stuff is sitting in boats and sitting in uh, trains and and trucks at this point. So as that kind of slows it back down a little bit volume wise, we should start seeing things kind of resolve themselves um, as that goes, but it really gets into retail. And so Brianna, I want to, I want to talk to you about a little bit about retail here. Um, I read uh, in your article from this last edition, I should start my holiday shopping early and I've taken your advice. I've, I've gotten right on that. Um, but I've seen multiple companies uh, on the supply chain side, Costco, Home Depot, Walmart. I mean, there's a long list. They're resorting to private charters to move their inventories, which is horribly expensive. It's, it's from a, a lot of different perspectives. It's not ideal for companies to do it that way. Um, I see that inventories at stores are an all-time low. Um, Hart talked about inflation earlier and how this connects to this kind of stuff. How do you think all this plays out? Yeah. Um, well, I have some good news and some bad news, but I have more bad news in that Hart already stole my good news. Um, but the retail sale numbers for September were surprisingly good, um, 0.7% month over month compared to inflation was 0.4%. So some people might say, oh, well, the retail sales growth 
is only because prices are going up. But it's not just prices. People are actually buying more, partly because some people have excess um, cash saved and maybe they're moving their, maybe they listen to my um, article and they're doing their Christmas shopping in September. But the numbers there were good. And actually the August numbers as well were revised upward from 0.7% month over month to 0.9%. So in terms of retail sales, the last few months have been good, but the worries are kind of looking forward with rising prices, with these supply constraints. Are people going to be able to purchase things? And if they are, how much more expensive? And so we might see kind of a flip-flop where there is retail sales growth, but it might be driven more by price growth rather than volume growth. Another concern is the financial toll of the pandemic. So while some households do have more disposable income, a lot don't. Um, one recent poll found that over the last few months, nearly 40% of US households reported facing serious financial difficulties and 20% of households had to drain their entire savings. So looking forward to the holiday season, looking forward to rising prices, a lot of households aren't going to be able to afford those things and might be pushed in to further um, economic and financial hardship. And so as we're coming out of this recovery, it's important to keep in mind, well, who, who is recovering from the pandemic and who is still you know, a few months behind who had to drain their savings, um, which may slow down retail sales. Brianna, that's, that's really interesting. Can you give me some idea here? So those are all national statistics. Here in the, in the, the Puget Sound area, the Pacific Northwest, how does it differ? I mean, in some areas, the, the King County, Seattle, uh, Bellevue, Redmond, Kirkland, that whole area there has a lot of higher wage jobs, had a lot more work from home, um, had that kind of uh, lower impacts from COVID than some other areas of our state uh, and definitely around the country. How does this shape out uh, regionally? Right. Um, so regionally, we do have some high wage areas, but we also have a lot of lower um, wage areas as well. And the numbers I'm looking at are national, but they're probably applicable very well regionally too. A lot of these impacts are especially concentrated in households making less than $50,000 a year. And so while in the Pacific Northwest, there are areas with household um, incomes that are much higher. We also have a lot of regions with lower household incomes um, who may not have had those work from home options, who may have dropped out of the labor force um, for various reasons, who have had to go through their savings. Um, yeah, so I think it's definitely still applicable in our region, but I'm gonna pass it over to Hart um, to see if you have anything to add there. No, I think I think the national statistics are are typically appropriate. Uh, we do have to keep in mind what what a Microsoft, Amazon, some of the other companies mean for the region. But uh, we have, let's just say, the same, probably even more pronounced income inequality uh, in in the region. And so, the I, I don't want to take us into the topic area of income inequality. I, I think what you were saying about retail. Uh, and, and some of the income numbers are, are perfectly relevant for our region. 
the only other thread, Brianna, that you you picked up on there is is savings, right? Talking about households that don't have don't have burned through their savings, and I, I think we just need to remember that even pre-COVID, that was an area of very large concern, and so uh, it's an area we'll all have to unpack at another time. But uh, there's definitely things to think about. There's been all kinds of survey data pre-COVID and 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 now that are showing a lot of households just don't have emergency cash. Um, or access to emergency cash, which could be credit as well. So, um, and then of course, you also all of this is a really good reminder about the danger of averages. And we know we throw away throw around words like average and median and and all these other great things. And it sounds you know we can say oh the average household does this. No one lives in an average household, right? So there's there's people on both ends of those numbers. Some people are doing really well, and some people aren't. And it's just something some people hide behind the word average and make it sound like it's okay and that's just something that you know we 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 try here to to keep honest about because that's you know no one makes an average wage no one buys a median home and homes are where i want to go so let's talk about homes bethany there's a lot of chatter out there still about work from home and you know i i talked earlier about amazon's pretty landmark uh, announcement this week it has to be impacting housing and the migration. And I know you've been looking at this. Can you can you walk us through what's going on and how it might impact our modeling and expectations? Definitely. So like you mentioned, working from home has had a huge impact on the housing market. So the impact it's had is that it's more of the more expensive homes that are selling as people are working from home. And so they're able to move further out from city centers and maybe want that extra bedroom to be the office. And so we talked about medians. And so we've had the median um, home price increasing steadily throughout the pandemic and actually increasing quite rapidly. But this time we have a slightly different story because all this whole time while the median home price was increasing, the house price index, which controls for house characteristics, that was not increasing, at least not at an unusual rate. But this quarter, as of quarter two, it increased dramatically. And so what that means is that the prices of homes in repeated sales is increasing quite rapidly. So that was nearly 6% just in one quarter that the um, home price increased. So that's a, that's a huge impact on everyone now, not just those higher earners that are looking to buy a bigger house to facilitate working from home. So like you said, these changes to working from home are going to have impacts in our region. So more pressure on the housing market, which is already tight to begin with. Now we are seeing some signs of downward pressure in the city centers. So in Seattle, MSA, um, we're actually seeing the home price dropping. Um, so as of August, the median home price was actually starting to decrease. So we are seeing some signs of decrease, but with these new reports of working from home continuing, we'll, we'll see how that, how that goes, if that downward pressure uh, continues or if we get more people wanting to move outwards. But in terms of the rental market, we are actually seeing rental prices increasing. So clearly some people are coming back into the cities and increasing those rental prices. Bethany, that, that's interesting. Um, we also have a lot of questions about uh, commercial uh, use. So whether it's retail or office space or even industrial, have you seen any kind of information about what's going on within the Puget Sound region um, in, in light of commercial real estate? Yeah, definitely. So with a lot of those big Seattle companies um, thinking about how they're going to switch to working from home or hybrid models, um, companies are really rethinking their workspaces and shifting to other workspaces further from city centers, 
um, switching to more hybrid models with these spaces that are flexible, like in these co-working spaces where multiple companies can come together and, um, and use the space uh, for multiple companies at, at the same time in a more flexible model. So we're definitely seeing changes to commercial real estate, also partly uh, companies are just using less of it. And so that's getting us to think about um, spaces that we might want to convert to another purpose, um, converting to either residential or sort of switching to warehousing spaces and things like that. It's an exciting time for all our real estate friends. Hart, you've mentioned the market in a couple of different ways today. I think I think everyone is, is, has has harassed GameStop and AMC here. So, um, and we haven't mentioned Hertz. Hertz is the other good one that's, that we've been having fun with. This has been a start of earning reporting this week in the market space. And yes, we always remind people the market is not the economy. The economy is not the market. But I'm interested in your thoughts on this because of things that we've talked about. We've talked about how people have the wealth effect and they, they feel like they're, they're wealthy when on paper they are, but maybe not next week. Um, inflation fears are very real uh, for far more people than seems warranted. There's a lot of people that are honestly making some unrealistic expectations and decisions around what inflation may look like. But earnings, earnings so far seem to be up overall. I mean, yesterday the market was up. Um, I haven't looked today. I, I try not to be that that person. Um, but the market seems to be continuing to move mostly forward despite all of this background stuff that's going on. So any any creative thoughts you have on the on the subject? No, I mean, James, I think you're pointing to a couple of different issues, some of which are the just the psychology or the the, the behavioral aspects of of markets, wealth effects, and the like. But I'll start by reiterating: the stock market is not the economy. I mean, if, especially if you're looking at the Dow Jones Index, right? That's 30 companies, or the S and P 500, 500 of the larger companies. 20% of the S and P 500 is is really just Apple, Amazon, Google, or Alphabet. A handful of companies, five, like five companies, account for a 20%. So. If those companies are doing well, the S&P likes it's doing, doing fine, markets look like they're doing fine, and the whole rest of the economy could be doing whatever. So that's really, really important to, to keep in mind. And I think through the, the last part of 2020, people were viewing Microsoft and Apple as sort of the new blue chips, a safe, a safe place to invest because, oh, we're going to need all of this technology for a for however long, forever, working from home and so on. So there was a reason some of these companies and some of these indices uh, were doing quite well when the rest of the economy was floundering. Also really critical to remember that the stock market is forward looking. So the stock market, you know, last summer, and I mean summer of 2020, not 2021, was looking at, we're gonna be fine. COVID is temporary. And yes, they're looking at, at earnings, but earnings were coming in. I'll come back to some of the companies in the region, Microsoft, Amazon. Earnings were great, right? Uh, and you've had some companies that expenditures are down, less business travel, for example. Revenues are up. Now, that story was short-lived for companies like, say, Peloton. But you know the, the forward-looking aspect is, is very, very important to remember when you think about the markets, because somebody can say, we're about to default on, on our debt and the government's going to close. Why in the heck are our markets going up? They're stupid. Markets are looking past that political noise thinking, yeah, they'll wait until 11.59 p.m. to solve the problem, but they'll get a deal done. 
you also, as those said, markets and inflation, and, and there's a, a fun discussion there because you would expect that bond markets, and there's far more bonds out there than stocks, uh, you know, a bond market is a, a, a big beast. You would expect that if people are worried about inflation in 2023, 24, whatever, that they would be demanding higher yields for bonds, and they aren't. I think part of the story there is the rest of the world. Because as our interest rates tick up, perhaps with inflation expectations, uh, you get other people saying, wait, I can get minus a half a percent in my country, or I can get a percent and a half in the US, I'm buying you at. So there's this bigger dynamic going on. It's not just our market and our inflation expectations. Markets are looking at earnings. Earnings have been really pretty good. And even if earnings come back down a little bit because economic activity has slowed, they're still going to be pretty good. And we're still talking about GDP growth through 2022 that's really pretty good. And so the market's looking at all of that and grinding up with some volatility. I, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't say there are concerns about institutional stability and there are risks like climate risks that neither of which I, th I think are, are really properly priced. Mark, uh, stock prices are very high. It's a, it's a Goldilocks world for, for, uh, for stock prices with a lot of risks in different, different areas. We're either gonna talk about this for hours or I'm gonna stop now. So I'll, I'll, I'll choose, choose the latter. It's uh, uncharacteristic. No, no, that's not, that's not nice. Uh, Hart, thank you for that. I, I, we don't spend a lot of time talking about the market for obvious reasons, but I, just every once in a while, it makes sense to come back and just kind of, again, touch base because it's, it's a very common, it's an easy me measurement for people to, to latch onto and, and use it as a proxy for how the economy is doing. And the economy is not your personal checking account or your balance sheet. It's much, much larger than that. Bethany, we create monthly updates and those are available to our online subscribers and they're always fun. They're, they're a great read. They've always got good information in them and kind of update things on where things are going. I think those are going up today and I'm, I'm looking, I, what am I looking forward to reading? So those went out just this morning. We have some very exciting things this month. And so first and foremost, you have the uh, child income tax credit that hit the data this month. So that is showing up in the data. And so that was a one and a half percent increase in incomes over three months. And so that is somewhat of a bump to income. And so we'll have to keep, keep taking a look at that because that might just be part of part of the normal recovery that we're seeing, but we'll keep an eye on that. The next thing that we're talking about is that drastic drop in unemployment insurance claims. That coupled with the increase in the unemployment rate, that's something we're talking about in those monthly updates today. And then also, again, that hectic housing market. Uh, we're talking about that. And finally, the most important thing that I want to tell all of our lovely subscribers is that we're going to be seeing some changes to those monthly updates and including some more data points that might tell us a bit more about our region. Exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Well, that brings us to a close to this edition of After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. We encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and to learn about other ways to connect with us. 
We will be hosting a special two-hour webinar on Friday, October 29th, again, check your calendars, that you may be interested in featuring a regional outlook, expanded conversations related to supply chain, inflation, the labor market, migration, and even real estate. We'll be promoting that on our social media stream here in the, in the coming days, and you can also just contact us for more information as well. You can always reach us via our website, cebr.ww.edu, or by email, seber at ww.edu with questions, comments, or if you're interested in having us speak at an event. After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We want to thank our producer, the ever popular, the ever skillful Jill Poon with KDMC. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours with the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you listen to podcasts. From all of us here at Western Washington University, have a great day and be sure to do your part to keep our region in the fast life.